Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Last week in our study of the book of Romans chapter 12, Pastor Murphy began to show us how a Christian is both to love and hate. Today we'll see that a Christian's love is not to be lawless and we'll see what a Christian is to hate. Romans chapter 12. If you've got Romans chapter 12, I'd like to read from verse number 9 of that chapter. Romans chapter 12, reading from verse number 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Thirdly, we must never equate love with what I call lawlessness. We must not think that love and law are antagonistic forces. And the reason why I'm saying that, that we are now living in what I call a lawless age. The motto today seems to be, let there be love and no law. That seems to be the motto. But anytime you put love and law as two antagonistic forces... You do not understand the God of the Bible, nor do you understand this world in which we live. Law that God gave is love. The entire law that God gave is love. The first four commandments is love towards God. The last is love towards man. The law is love. It's about putting controls on man's fallen nature. It's a respect for God's holiness. So people get the idea that, you know, uh, when I love, there's no law. Love allows me to break every law because the highest law is love. That's what the world believes. But again, I would say to you that we are being brainwashed. Our mind is being distorted because the ideas that are constantly pouring into our mind is training our mind to think the way that the world thinks. But you must never divorce love from one word, obedience. Any kind of love that does not include obedience is not love. It's an artificial love. Well, pastor, that sounds pretty strong. Can you prove it in the scripture? Well, look with me for just a moment. Look at John chapter 14. How do you know a person loves God? Tell me. Well, pastor, they come up and they sing a song. Well, pastor, they give a testimony. Well, pastor, look at how they dress. You can see they're Christians. How do you know when a person really loves God? John chapter 14 and verse 15 reads, If you love me, keep my what? My commandments. If you love me, obey me. That's the proof of love. You obey God. If you do not obey God, contrary to what you think, you don't love God. You can't separate love from obedience. Well, look at John, same John chapter 14. Look at verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he is that loveth me. 
Did you hear what it says? This is the one that really loves me. The one that has my word and my commandments and obey them. If there's no obedience, there's no love. It's a fake love. Turn to 1 John chapter 1. And look what he says also in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 4 and 5. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth the words in him, wherein, uh, in him verily is the love of God perfected. The reason why I'm spending an ordinary, extraordinary time on this particular aspect of it because I'm saying to you that Paul is calling for love that is without dissimulation. But we are so confused as to what love is today that any idea that there's any restriction that required obedience or referring conformity, they say that's law. That's not love. Love is to get the child the freedom to do whatever the child wants. I want to say, I want to, uh, Joe doesn't know this, but I admire the way Joe is dealing with Ellie. Now, I'm a little bit, grand, grandfathers normally spoil grandchildren, you know that. I don't know if you know that, they really spoil them. So you've got to be very careful when they're with grandma or grandpa because they give them everything they want. So Ellie would go to, um, go to mommy and or go to daddy and say, daddy, can I have marshmallows? Daddy would say, no marshmallows until you eat or before you do that. Then she will come to me, granddad, granddad, can I have marshmallows? Now, I heard daddy say not to. So I said, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. But she is so sensible. You know what she tells me? Daddy says not to eat marshmallows. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed. Right? You know what that tells me, by the way? Not only does she respect her parents, but she has to have some love for her parents. See? Obedience is really the test. See? A child that didn't care anything about their parents would say, give me five. Give me ten. Granddad, I love you. you know? So they get more and more and more and more. See? You've got to teach the children the connection between love and obedience. You've got to start with that. If you don't, and you just give them the freedom, they can do anything they want to. That's not love. That's indulgence. That's indulgence. That's not love. Let us be very clear this morning that love is shown in our conduct, in our behavior, in our actions, and by our obedience. That's the acid test of whether you truly love. And that's why Paul says, I don't want this mushy thing in the world that you could do anything. Nobody put any rules or regulations on you to give you freedom and liberty. And, you know, that is, that, that's not love, I'm telling you. That's brutality when you do it with a child. But that's what people think is love. Love calls for discipline. As a, I remember, uh, if I might say this, I reminisce once in a while. Uh, I filled in as a principal for one year. And I was known as the, I was harsh on discipline. That's what they were telling me. Uh, because I would tell the teachers, look, when the children are keeping noise in the class, warn them once or twice. But if they continue doing it two or three times, 
you put them to stand up on the chair. When I come in, I will deal with them. And without fail. Once you are standing on the chair, I know one thing. The speak, you have been misbehaving. The, speaker, the teacher spoke to you. So you're going to get a spanking. Bam, bam, bam. You do that for a month and the school, you can hear a pin drop. You can literally hear a pin drop. They're not aware you can't disturb the class. The teacher will warn you, but once you're standing, when the principal comes by, you're going to get a whipping. So what? everybody falls in line now. Now some of you say, Pastor, that is cruel. That's your problem. That's your problem. You don't really understand what true love is. I want the best for the children. You know what my best? I want the child to do so well in school. He'll become educated. He'll be successful in this class. He'll go on to CXC. He must learn discipline in the primary school. So when he gets to secondary school, he doesn't get distracted and become a success. See, you're just concerned that he loves you. He tells you that. But you're not really concerned about his ultimate welfare. And that's what love is. It's all about the ultimate end. So there must be obedience. There must be discipline. Love must be tough. And the Apostle Paul is making it very, very clear here. He doesn't want dissimulating love. He doesn't want pretentious love. He doesn't want hypocritical love. He doesn't want false love or pseudo love. He wants genuine love. So he said it must be without dissimulation, without hypocrisy, without feigning or pretending. He wants the real thing. And that's what Paul is saying here. The real thing, I want the real thing. That's a general principle. Not just courtesy and affability. Not just sentiment and emotions. Not just lawless, allowing everything to happen without any kind of rules and regulations. But genuine, authentic love that involves restrictions, that involves obedience and has consequences. That's the first broad, great principle that Paul talks about in this chapter. Number two, Paul says in the part, next part of the verse, principle number two, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. This second maxim logically follows from the first maxim. If you're to love the way God wants you to love, it means that you must abhor evil, hate evil, and cleave to that which is good. You can't have one without having the other. So Paul can't talk about hating evil and cleaving to good until first of all, you're gonna listen. I'm not talking about two antagonistic things here. I'm talking about something that flows from the other. Today, the, the virtual word today that is being bandied all over the world, all over, is the word tolerance. That seems to be the main virtue word today. The main virtue word in the Bible is love. Genuine, authentic love. Today, the key word out there in the marketplace is that tolerance. So the way I show my love is to be tolerant. So I must not speak out against anything. I must just realize that morality is just a personal thing. There's no objective morality. There's just subjective morality. See? So there's nothing that is absolutely wrong. It all depends on how you see it. And the problem passes is this. Not everybody see it the way you see it. Well, I don't want you to see it the way I see it. I want to see it the way God sees it. See? 
So I can't be tolerant of anything that God says is evil. But when you make that statement in the marketplace, you're labeled as a hate monger. So you're tempted to, to withdraw yourself back into a shell and don't say anything because you don't want to be labeled a hate monger. But the Apostle Paul says, I want you to love, but I, I want you to know that you can't love the way I want you to love unless you learn to hate evil and to cling to the good. Anything other than that is not what I'm asking for. What is real? It's not real. It's just superficial. Tolerance is the key word uh, today. And if you criticize or you rebuke or you condemn or you oppose... Um, Anything today that people is pushing, uh, you are labeled intolerant and hateful, and they're measuring you by this word tolerance. Uh, tolerance. Yeah. And the sad thing about it is this: the church is now accommodating itself to that kind of a mindset. We have an immoral world governed by immoral government people, and immoral media pushing their standard of morality on the church. And the church is not pushing back. See? As though they're the authorities in morality. This is the authority in morality. Abhor that which is evil. I don't know if you know this. Uh, I just recently did some courses. Uh, four or five courses really. To preparing for this um, drug we have we're going to get. RBBT. CBT, you just name it. Mental health, uh, five courses. Psychological co training and everything. You know what I discovered? And it shocked me. That even the Christian institutions are now calling everything a disorder. I was shocked. It's an alcoholic disorder. It's a sexual disorder. I was shocked. Everything is a disorder. Now, when you have a disorder, it means that you have a medical problem. It's defining morality in terms of medical terms. And when you say you have a disorder, you have a medical problem, it means that you have an imbalance of chemicals in your body. So everything now is the chemicals. The chemicals make you do everything. So if you're homosexual, your problem is that you have an imbalance in your body and your genes are making you be a homosexual. You have a disorder. You have a sexual orientation disorder. And the foolish Christians are believing that. The church is believing that. Now the church is saying that uh, homosexuality is a normal lifestyle. And uh, when Paul is preaching in Romans chapter 1, Paul is not condemning people who are homosexuals by nature. He's condemning people who are heterosexual who are engaged in homosexual activity. <laughs> now, I've never heard a twisted interpretation of that in my whole life. And then they say, you want to know, you want to see that homosexual was not evil? Look at David and Jonathan. It said that David loved Jonathan more than he loved a woman. Wow. See? The Bible is being misinterpreted, reinterpreted, and twisted to accommodate a new standard of morality. Evil is no good and good is no evil. And the church, the sad thing about the church is now it's ordaining homosexuals. It's putting them on their boards. Uh, I remember the, the last conference I went to uh, in St. Vincent. There's a guy who's fairly wealthy who's uh, a coal miner. And he, 
he was using a lot of his coal money to help support Christian work all the way. And I remember that they were talking about homosexuality. And he said, that's not the only problem in the world, you know. Why are we going to talk about that all the time? And I understood what he was saying. Hush, hush. Hush, hush. Because we talk about that, we may get some serious repercussions. And that bothered me greatly. Because if you are vocal on any issue, except which is the main issue of the time, you're a coward. You're a coward. Because that's the main issue you must deal with. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. And let me show you what is happening today because of this whole matter of laboring everything as a disorder and everything as an imbalance of chemicals and neurotransmitters and this transmitters and that chemical and the next chemical. What you have done there is absolve man of your responsibility. I repeat, you have absolved man of responsibility. When you tell me that I am the way I am because of the chemical imbalance in my body, I am now physically sick. I'm not morally evil. And it's my physical sickness making me do the moral things that I do. So how can I be responsible? Wake up, believers. Understand what is happening. See, This is a, a master plan to destroy Christianity and the Bible and morality. To bring us to a place where every man is a god unto himself. Doing what he please. And to make us believe there's nothing called absolutes. That applies to everybody across the board. But it is selected and subjective. See? That is how we are being mentally conditioned by every single part of the media. That's how we are being mentally conditioned. Why you keep complaining? Why you're so intolerant? If the person feel like doing that, why you don't allow them to do that? Why you tell them it is wrong and evil? You have no right. I have every right once this book tells me it is wrong. Every right. I'm very fearful, I must tell you, as we go most toward the end time of the repercussions that we pastors are going to have. And my pain comes from the fact is, who will support the pastor when he's jailed? Honest to God, that's my main concern. Who will visit the pastor when he's jailed? Who will have any concern for the pastors when they're jailed? See? Because it's coming. It is coming. See? That's my greatest fear. I can't see it happening otherwise. The point I'm making here is this, is that sin has disappeared from man's vocabulary and everything is now a disorder. Alcoholism is a disorder. Homosexuality is a disorder. Even pornography is a disorder. Everything is a disorder. Nothing today is labeled as sin whatsoever. Now, if there's no sin, we don't need a church. I repeat, if there's no sin, we don't need a church. You might as well close down and maybe turn it into a social club. And let's have some drinks, fellas. See? It's a plan. Now, what the world is trying to normalize today is what God calls evil. And just in case you don't know what is evil, let me list some of the things that the world is approving and saying it's okay that God says it's evil. Let me list some of them for you. I begin with the one that 
uh, that is, you, you can't even mention it today. Uh, when I say you can't mention it, it, it's so accepted today. Uh, sodomy is evil. Man sleeping with man, man sexing with man is evil. It's an abomination. It's unnatural. Turning a sewage canal into a joy zone. Terrible. Terrible. And by the way, when I was in Barbados many years ago, before I went to St. Lucia, before I went to Barbados, so I, I've been here 20 years, 10 years, and that's 30 years ago, there was a guy on the radio called Father Hatch. Uh, got a perk, I think the program was called. And uh, I don't want to seem cool, but one lady called in to the program, and she was talking about um, this kind of... Uh, anal thing with her husband and she saw how nice it was and so and he said but you think that's right you think that's normal but to her there was no shame mentioned on the radio to her that was just a normal thing that is evil not just man with man but that kind is evil distortion that is animalistic it's doggish that is evil. The church must let you know it is evil. It must wake your conscience up. Wake it up. Shock you. Lesbianism is evil. Two women. And by the way, it's not two women these days. But that's the level of morale you're there. And by the way, no shame, no embarrassment. Hey, videotape it. Let's show the world. Not just... Barbados, Antigua, show St. Lucia. You know what they're doing? They're polluting your mind. And I want to say to any lesbians who might hear what I'm saying to you, you are damned if you don't repent. Any sodomite, you are damned if you don't repent. I don't care who you are. You're damned. Because it is evil. Same-sex marriage is evil. And those who tolerate it and those who institute laws are complicit in evil. Transgenderism is evil. Let me ask, think for just a moment. What right does a six-year-old or seven-year-old child, what right does a parent have to give him hormones and certain chemicals to change his body structure. He's born a male. It's obviously a male, but I'm giving him this estrogens and, and all these other, and he's becoming to develop breasts. He's becoming like a woman because he says he's a woman. What child at seven years has a developed brain? By the way, any of you, when you were small, ever dressed up in mommy shoes and you were a boy? I used to do that. Flop around the place with mommy shoes. I'm a boy, you know. You ever put on a lady's dress, plain? These things happen, but they're not mean that I, I, you know, I am not at the level to understand this thing about femininity and, and masculinity. I am the adult in the room, and I must make sure my boy is trained to be a boy and my girl is trained to be a girl. I don't give dollies to my boy, I give guns. <laughs> I know I'll get you with that one. I know I'll get you with that one, right? Yeah. I give cars and trucks. And the same thing with the girls. 
I want them to be feminine. I don't want them to be masculine. I am the adult. I train my child the way God made my child to be, not the way he thinks he wants to be. I am the adult. I'm the male. I'm responsible. And God is going to hold me accountable, by the way, for that child. I'm a steward of his life. But you've got to be tough as a parent. You've got to understand that something your child wants is not good for him. You're the parent. You're the parent, not he. See? So whether he likes you or not, you're not getting it. See? Not getting it. To say that today, people give the impression you don't really love anybody. You don't love the child. I'm saying to you, we are being systematically brainwashed. And unless we wake up and get back to Scripture and let the Scripture flush out these ideas out of our minds, we're going to find ourselves adopted to the world's lifestyle, imbibing all that they say, and we become just like them. Paul says, abhor that which is evil. Abortion is evil. And you know why abortion is? Abortion is M-U-R-D-R. Murder! There are more murderers walking the streets than murderers in the prison. Did you hear that? There are more murderers walking the street than murderers in the prison. That's what abortion is. Taking of innocent life. And any Christian that vote for any political party that supports abortion is complicit in murder. Simple as that. Simple as that. And God is going to hold you accountable for your actions in that respect. Euthanasia is evil. In Europe, for example, uh, they have a lot more liberty in terms of euthanasia than there is in the, in the Caribbean or even in, the, in America. But it's coming to the point where they're going to feel that the older people need to be going off the planet. We're producing too much carbon monoxide or dioxide. We are creating, you know, they said that we got to get rid of the cows. You know that. They said the cows give us too much gas. So it's polluting the planet. Now they want to stop, stop keeping cows. <laughs> So the more we get rid of the old people, because they just polluted the planet. So I wonder what age you will be eligible. How long should we live for? Is it 60? Is it, what is it? What is it? I don't know if we know what is happening, but we are living in a crazy world run by crazy people. And the church is the last bastion that stands between the world's agenda and God's word. The last bastion. And that's why they must attack the church and destroy the church. Because if you don't destroy the church and church to stand, their agenda is being held back by us. We're the only force holding back the agenda right now. I want to mention two other things. For example, guess, the legalization of mind-altering drugs is evil. I would say this. Every single politician in the Caribbean that legalizes marijuana is destroying the minds of children between 12 and 18. I repeat, you're destroying the minds of children between 12 and 18. So I don't know if you can go to sleep at night on a pillow and, and think about the amount of lives you destroy between 12 and 18 because you've legalized marijuana. You should not be able, your pillow should be a rock. You should be moaning and groaning and, and can't sleep to think of the damage you're being done. Go back, go back to the psychiatric hospital. Ask the nurses up there who, who 
The amount of people up there asked what's the major cause of it. One doctor came out. I don't know if she got fired. That was working up there. Said the majority of our problem up there is marijuana. It's evil. Totally evil. And the last thing I'd like to say this because I want to say this for somebody who might be listening on the radio. The unjust, disproportionate favor of some laws towards some groups. And let me mention two groups that nobody mentions today. Employees. This law is so twisted and so heavily leaning towards the, the worker that it's as though the employer has no rights these days. I think that is wrong. There needs to be a, ba- a greater balance. If laborers are there, there, you can't fire me. And they know that. That is wrong. And by the way, nobody works eight hours a day, a, a day. Nobody. That's what you're paid for, eight hours a day, but nobody works eight hours a day. See? But here's another one that I think is, is out of disproportion. Tenants. And owners, tenants and owners, you know how hard it is for you to get a tenant out of your house even though they're not paying rent? I don't even know this. When Bullock and his wife were here, they got some apartments up in there. They were owed $40,000. $40,000, and it's a 40000 cents in them. But you can't get the people out. I was by a lady the other day talking to her, and I said, you know, uh, you, you, you look as though you're burdened down and stuff. And she said, Pastor, I, I, just, I just don't know what to do. I'm so burdened. She said, I, I, me and my husband, we, we build a, a little apartment. It's a mortgage. We're still paying for it. But we got this person there now, and we can't get them out for two years. I still got to pay the mortgage. They're not paying. I still got to pay the mortgage. What do I do? It's wrong. It can't be that you're concerned about one group and not the other. Those laws need to be changed. Those laws are wrong. They're evil. They make somebody who can't even pay their mortgage lose their mortgage and lose their property because somebody else in there stays in there. Don't pay me, don't pay me, don't pay me. And no matter what I do, I'm suffering. But who do I turn to? I don't have what to turn to. There's a lot of evil in this world, my friend. But we as Christians have got to get back to God's word and understand that whether it be wherever there's evil, we see it for what it is and we condemn it when it is evil. We don't applaud it. We condemn it. The word that Paul uses here when he says, Abhor that which is evil. Cling to that which is good. The word abhor is from two different forms. From two different, the word apple and studio. The word apple means away from. It means distancing. The word studio means to hate. Literally hate. Love and hate. Hate evil. 
so that you withdraw yourself away from it. That's what Paul is saying uh, in this passage. And by the way, the two Greek words for evil, there's the word missio and the word stugio, which is the one that Paul uses here. The word missio refers to conceal or cherish hatred. So it's a hatred, but it's being concealed or being cherished. But that's not the word that Paul used. The word that Paul used is the word studio, which means speak of hatred that is expressed. I repeat, it is hatred that is expressed. It's not that I hate something and conceal that I hate it. That's not the word he uses. I see evil and I express my hatred for that evil. I speak out against it then. I condemn it. Today, Christians tell you, live and let live. What will be, will be. See, That's not Christianity. Express your hatred against sin. And evil, that's what Paul is saying. Don't be silent. Silent is consent. Silent is endorsement. Let me use a simple illustration here that just came to mind. What if you knew? What if you knew? Pastor Murphy is living in Wireless Road. And Pastor Murphy has a secret clinic in the upstairs room that children that are brought into the house never come out again. Pastor Murphy kills them. They come in with the mother, but I kill the children. Now you know that. You know that. But what if you said nothing about it? What does that say about you? See? The reason why I'm saying that is this. This is why we need to speak out against abortion. Okay? Condemn it. Because the innocent children are being killed and slaughtered and ripped apart. And poison is being put into their bodies so they turn out like syrup. See? And it's like nobody cares. It's like what's going to happen to the Uyghurs, what China's doing to the Uyghurs. Two million people China got in a prison up there, cutting out their, their, their body parts and selling their body parts. Have you seen any documentary on that one yet? Treating like animals. But the world says nothing. Nothing at all. Two million people being slaughtered and nobody cares. 65 million children killed in America to abortion and nobody cares. Nobody says anything. What does that say about a nation that slaughters its innocent? I've said this. They're all plastic people with tin hearts. Their conscience is dead. As a result, they can do anything. And it doesn't bother them anymore. See? Those are the people that are influencing the world and pushing their agenda. And the church says it stops Outside the church door. It doesn't enter the church door. See, we don't allow it. We don't believe in it. We don't teach it. We condemn it. We abominate it. See? That's the position the church should take. Abhor that which is evil. And by the way, could I say this? Uh, I'm coming to a close just a moment. When you look around in the world... You see that everywhere, especially in the area of pleasure and entertainment, the prevalence of evil that Christians should withdraw from 
Think of the porn sites that uh, you Google porn sites, by the way. No, 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 no please. Uh, well, I am told that you get a, about a million porn sites when you, if you Google porn sites, and you can get everything you want. The bestiality you can get, you can get male with male, female. You can even get boys and, and boys and men. You can get anything you want. You know, I mean, no, that's a billion dollar industry. You know that billion dollar industry. How can we be silent about that? What about strip clubs? Any strip clubs in Antigua? Any strip club in Antigua? The indignity of men with lustful eyes watching women strip and play around a pole. The indignity of demeaning of women like that. Does that not, the church not affected by that? You don't feel for that? That's your daughter, that's your, that's your wife, that's your mom. Doesn't bother you that? that? What about prostitution? Not, no prostitution happens in Antigua, does it? In a place in Barbados called the Garrison Savannah. You drive around there certain nights. They're on the streets. And all they want you to pick them up. See? Very, very common. You, you go to another place called Nelson Street. See? Another common area where this kind of thing happens. By the way, this is no longer localized. This is becoming very prominent. Women are saying, God gave them one thing. They're going to work it. Doesn't matter how they demean themselves and their value. And the sacrosanct of sex, they don't see that any longer. It's a business. It's a bi- Imagine that. That you can buy my body for $20 and $50 and maybe $100. And if you really want the exquisite stuff, maybe $500. But how do I look myself in the mirror afterwards and not feel the compunction of guilt that have just been used? See? But that's where we are today. That's exactly where we are. In the gay bars in Antigua, any nude beaches? You know, you go on the beach, but you can't, you can't take your children there because they're brawless and everything else. You know, you know that? What about dry queens? You got any yet? What about the matter of uh, the rape and sodomy and X-rated movies and recreational sex? What about those things? They're all evil. And the Bible says, stay away from those things see, as believers. See. The point I want to say this is, Evil is not a passive force. It's an active force that is trying to gobble up that which is good. See? And that's what, the, and by the way, the word that Paul uses here, Sturger, is active evil. Not passive evil, active. See? And this is what Paul is saying to, to us that we need as Christians to hate this kind of thing, despise it utterly, uh, positively hate it, utterly despise it, as believers, find it something that is revolting against God. And, and by the way, I want to say this. You will never hate evil until you love God. Let me say that again. You will never hate evil until you love God. One of the great Psalms that are written, I will close with this uh, this morning, is Psalm 104. In Psalm 104, David in that psalm is celebrating God and all of his creation. You will find if you go through that psalm that David talks about heaven, he talks about clouds, he talks about water, he talks about wind. He talks about angels and earth and mountains and thunder and valleys and springs and hills. He talks about the care of the beasts, the birds, the grass. He talks about herbs providing for man. He talks about uh, trees and animals and seasons and days and nights and riches of the earth and seas. 
and how God renewed the earth. And David is celebrating God's power, God's wisdom, God's glory, God's sovereignty, and God's providential care. And David said, I will sing to the Lord. I will praise him. I will meditate and be glad. And when he's written that psalm and the psalm is over, listen to what he writes at the last verse of that verse. Let the sinners be consumed out of the earth and let the wicked be no more. What's the connection? What's the connection? Here's talking about the glory of God, the majesty of God, the greatness of God, the sovereignty of God, the, the providential care of God. Everything about God. This world is God's world. So David said, get evil out. That's what he said. Rip it out. It shouldn't be there. You know why you can say that? Because David loved God. See? The problem why you don't see evil the way it is because your love for God is not at the same level of David's. See? But when you truly love God, you abhor and you hate evil. See? And the problem today is that to a great extent, the church has lost its first love. Therefore, it is tolerant of evil. He says to abhor or hate evil, and then he says to cling to that which is good. The word that David used for the word cling, it's the same word that says what God has joined together let no man put asunder. And Adam cleaved to his wife. And they became one flesh. That word is the same word that is used. And in the Greek language, you know what it means? It means to be glued to. See. So when Paul says, abhor evil, he said what you need to know is to glue yourself to good. Stick to good so that nothing can remove you. Make this what you hold on to. Good. Is Paul using language that's above us today? Is this what we are? Is this what the church is like today? It abhors, abhors evil and clings to that which is good? I think not. Because within the church, the people that sit here Sunday after Sunday, and then they got the little cell phone and the little computer. And they're sitting down in the bathroom, in the toilet. They're sitting in the privacy of their home. They're sitting down in the car. And you're not reading scripture. You're watching pornography. Yeah. We don't hate evil. In a very real sense, we love it. Because it caters to our sinful nature. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, you, if you hate evil, you have to cling to that which is good. Stick to it and separate from evil. These are the two basic fundamental admonitions that Paul gives at the beginning of this battle of Christian lifestyle. How should Christians live? How should we glorify God? You know? Christianity affects your will. You surrender to the Lord. Christianity affects your mind. You renew your mind. Christianity affects how you serve in the church with your gifts. But Christianity also affects your lifestyle, how you live, every aspect of your life. You can't compartmentalize your life and say, well, you know what? This is my church life. This is my work life. This is my recreational life. Uh, you know, compartments. So what I do, I seal. No, right across the board, 
Christianity comes in and touches on every level. Every level. That's what being a Christian really is. And that's why Paul is emphasizing it here in this chapter. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Be sure to join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us what kind of love a Christian should have toward another believer. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.